This is the 966 episode 117. Hello, happy new year, Richard. How's it going? Happy new year's. Best wishes for an exciting, you, your, your, your new year is already shaping up to be very exciting. <laughs> it should be a very exciting new year for all of us. Um, and we've got a very exciting year ahead. We just had a very exciting year behind us in 2023, but 2024 is going to be lit as the kids say these days. This week, we're going to be talking about the Dakar rally upcoming in Saudi Arabia, which is uh, next month. Very exciting. We'll also talk a little bit about the latest with PGA and Liv and their merger and more around that. A full menu of excellence in Yella, as always, Mr. Wilson. Before we get started, thanks to everybody for being here for yet another new year. Uh, We're not going to read any comments today, but we've got a lot that came in over the holiday, and we really appreciate it when you guys reach out to us and say thanks for what we're doing or comment or negative feedback. We also welcome as as well. And that also comes in Richard, which is okay. Um, But we just like hearing from you guys and we appreciate it. If you can rate and review and subscribe to us, wherever you're getting this actually kind of helps you guys out as well, because it just brings what we're doing directly to you. So you don't have to seek us out. Uh, So uh, for those of you that have done that, thank you very much. Absolutely. And how did we manage not to take a breather? I mean, I don't think we've even looked at the metrics for 2023. I mean, we did 50 plus episodes. So, you know, average one a week. I mean, so anyway, at some point we're going to have to, you know, just pull our head up and look around because we've been, we've been busting it. So I'm sure we'll be have a busy 2024, but I'm excited about all that we've done so far. Looking forward to the future. Mm-hmm. And Richard, you know what they say, if you like what you do, you know, you never work a day in your life. And no, yeah. so indeed, this is quite fun to do. And we'll keep it going for sure. You know, yes, we love what we do. We still have to pay the bills somehow. So that's we'll true. Figure that- yep, that's true. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> but yeah, a very exciting year ahead. Um, we just, uh, you hinted at it, uh, but I will be in Riyadh for the next few months. So we will be doing this show across the Atlantic, we'll be covering more of the globe and that'll be great and interesting. Hopefully I can get some of my tan back um, and (laughs) gain a little bit more weight in addition to what I already gained over the holidays, um, which was great. We are chatting here a little too much, Richard. We usually save this for beginning, uh, the beginning of the show. Let's get right into it. What's your one big thing this week? One big thing. Well, it's the beginning of a new year, which can only mean one thing. It's Dakar time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Opening the year, 46th edition of the epic rally raid begins today, January 5th in Alula, Saudi Arabia. It will go for two weeks to the 19th. It will traverse the peninsula, essentially. I mean, it'll go from Alula all the way across to way down close to the Omani border in the east and then come all the way back to Yambu, uh, 12 stages of wonderment, excitement, and extraordinary Mad Max love. (laughs) It's just the craziest thing. And as anybody who listens knows, I love it. Uh, Someday I hope to be see part of it. You know, it'd be very cool to to be a Motul, which is Motul is is an amateur. So you can show up with your kit, whatever, your car and whatever, and and, and try and run it. I would do that. You know, my O2, you know, Odyssey, Odyssey minivan out there with 220,000 miles might not handle it. But, you know, I try and find a vehicle. But anyway, this is so cool. And 
this is the fifth fifth edition in Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia has been, you know, they've handled it well. It's it's quite a go-to uh, event. Um, it's attracted a capacity crowd of 199 cars and trucks. And I'll go through some of these. 70 Ultimate, 43 Challenger, 36 SSV, 3 Stock, and 47 trucks. But, you know, that, you know, that's just stuff. There's a bunch of people just going off. And... <clears throat> Uh, one of the cool things is I didn't realize this. It's 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 now the first leg in what is the World Road Rally Championships. No, no, no. I'm sorry. World Rally Ray Championships. This is another thing about this whole exercise. The names are awesome. Wouldn't you love to go on a Rally Raid Championship? I mean, this is so a rally is is you know it's something off road and it's not you know in a in a regular racing venue, and uh, that's what a Rally Raid is. Anyway, so this will be the first one, Dakar. And then there's four more. There's one in Abu Dhabi, one in uh, uh, South America, and then, you know, all the way coming back to Morocco. So this is the, the first one of that. Um, 12 stages, uh, ranging from 200 to 540 miles in length. Uh, one of them is kind of a cool thing. It's called a chrono stage where essentially the drivers, whoever is driving, is basically disconnected from the crew for 48 hours. No communication, no support, whatever. They just go. And they and so if they break down, they don't have a crew. I mean, you, so you have, you have all-star, superstar drivers out there, bikers trying to fix their own machines. Um, again, just very cool. Um, 10 Saudi drivers are participating in the competition. Uh, and and I'll go through some of the, the, the classes. So you have T1 and T2, which is cars. Uh, this is sort of the headline class. Um, and then you have, and Toyota has been killing it in this class of late. Um, you know, so, so they're doing well. T3 and T4 is lightweight vehicles. So like 79 lightweight vehicles in the Dakar this year. And these are things like Can-Ams and Polaris's and Tauruses. Um, T5 is trucks, friggin' trucks, 47 industries. We're talking up to 10-ton trucks banging around the desert. All of them looking futuro and or retro. I don't know what it is, but they're just amazing vehicles. And then 136 motorbikes, including 23 in the Elite Rally GP class for factory bikes. So, so um, and all of these have have various limitations on their power. And then the last group is quads and we see a lot of quads and that's limited to 110 miles per hour. You know, so, so if you want to go faster than 110 miles an hour, you know, through the desert, you're out of luck. <laughs> um, so uh, just, just a tremendous event for stupidity and glory and trying to be good at what you do and beating yourself up and challenging yourself. And all, I think, in sort of a, uh, you know, an environment, a community environment. You know, there's not likely there's a lot of rally raid racers all over the world. And, you know, they come together and they, they do these things and, and uh, <laughs> they go hard. And I bet they have some good drinks afterwards. I just think anyone knows. I love the Dakar rally. So January 5th to January 19th, if you're there, go see it. Amazing event. Someday I'll be there. That's my one big thing. That is a, a really good one big thing. It's a very exciting event and it will be going through Riyadh on the 13th. So I'm going to try to bring my, my children will be coming with me to Saudi this time. I'm going to try to bring maybe my son who's 
not going to really understand what's going on, but there will be a lot of loud, huge cars. He may really enjoy that. But yeah, there's a rest day on the 13th. And then the 14th, they'll be kind of going through and around Riyadh. Um, and I, we're going to include the map. And Richard, we've talked about the Dakar Rally in the past, and it's one of my favorite segments to uh, produce with you because the B-roll is so freaking cool. And it's just like a bunch of cool cars. And the SPA and the the folks that organize the Dakar Rally have really good camera equipment and are you know, have these amazing photos and videos of the rally that you just kind of, it looks like a movie. And I wonder if our friends at AZ Aerials will be involved somehow in using their drones to film what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I if, hey, if you want to come out and meet and greet the 966, um, I, at least I will be there on the 13th. I'll try to figure out how to get there. I don't think the rental car agency, if we go that route, still haven't made that decision, but I don't know if they're going to be excited about me entering my, you know, Suzuki four by four or whatever in the, in that I race. Got, but uh, I got an O2 Odyssey for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so wait, your O2 Odyssey has 20, 20, 220,000 miles. We have a, we have an O11 Odyssey with another two hundred thousand. Good for you guys. That's pretty good. Two hundred thousand miles uh, of U.S city driving is pretty dang good so a lot of a lot of road trips but no your but your pull on the drones is a is a good a good one because they're like the you know there's five classes they're like the sixth class of 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 stars because they get such amazing footage of this event and that's the best way to get it if you're out there in the in the in the empty quarter and elsewhere yeah yeah so congrats to all those participating we will include in addition to the amazing b-roll as richard was talking the map the uh Dakar rally map they have such a cool logo um and yeah they have the map where it shows you everywhere that they're going I I think it's really cool that they will be going through Al-Ula as part of the prologue and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show but um I believe there'll be some sort of summit in Al-Ula in the next couple days right Richard because um Secretary of State Anthony Blinken mentioned Al-Ula as one of his stopping points in Saudi Arabia for his tour so maybe he'll get to see the car rally as well but i i'm sure they'll have those uh events to be separate but anyway yeah really cool map really cool one big thing and a really cool event um and yeah the other thing that we talked about richard in the past is that you know this is really risky this is not i mean people have died doing the Dakar rally or or have gotten seriously injured and yeah i mean it's not for the faint of heart this is a very serious race um very, very cool. So. I agree, and, and you know, I get fired up about it. I recognize it's 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 a it's not for it's not for lightweights. You know, it's you don't take it lightly. It's if you're doing it, you got to get be serious and be safe. And 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 to be honest, one of the reasons why it, it it's been successful in Saudi Arabia, and one of the reasons it was moved from South America was they couldn't guarantee or ensure safety for a lot of the the participants in South America. Yeah, they can in Saudi Arabia. And if you look at some of the, the launching points and the the camps and that sort of thing, I mean, it's, you know, it looks like the infrastructure is really set up nicely and it's a great place to run a race. And, and, and it's, it, it seems like all the drivers uh, really enjoy, you know, doing it because it is a safe environment and, and, you know, you have medical and other support. So it's, you know, again, like so many things, sorry, I digress. But like so many things in Saudi Arabia, you know, you just had the what seventh FFII, 
and, and all these other things. You know, this is the fifth Dakar rally. They're coming back because it's working. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And this will probably be on TV in the U.S. as well. Yes, it was last year, and it, and I remember it was on. It was on at a really weird time, so I didn't see it, but you did. Um, we really talked a little bit about that, but that, yeah, and it was on like NBC Sports, so it wasn't like some weird channel. It was on a, I mean, <laughs> although you know, so but that's really cool. Um, yep. Uh, good luck to everybody doing that. Be safe, and maybe see you on the fourteenth if my wife lets me go and take my son to this event. That'd be sick, but uh, who knows? But anyway, good one, Richard. My one big thing, also in the sports vein couple eye rolls probably already, but we do have an update on the Live PGA merger, a check into the world of golf. And again, why we talk about this, we, you and I have talked about this, Richard, but this is really important to Americans. We have a huge audience in America. And I think a lot of Saudis roll their eyes at this and say, uh, you know, what's happening here, what we're building in Saudi, what we're doing with Vision 2030 is so much bigger than what we're doing with golf. But golf and Saudi Arabia's investments into golf, the PIF's investment into golf, is where the rubber meets the road a lot of times for Saudi Arabia's image in the Western mind, because that's really all they hear about. And I bet if we did an informal poll or a formal poll of all Americans, many would not be able to tell you where the 2030 World Fair is going to be or the um, 2034 World Cup. I think a lot of people are still sort of like, it's a huge deal in Saudi, not a huge deal in the U.S., but golf touches pretty much everybody in the U.S. Um, so that's sort of why we're talking about it. And I get a lot of comments, Richard, from Saudis that say, you know, I don't really know what's going on in the world of golf. Well, it is important because if the PIF's assets under management is about $700 billion and its investment into the PGA is rumored to be about $3 billion if it goes ahead, which I'll talk about in a second, that's not really a lot of money um, for the PIF. That's less than 1% of PIF spending goes on golf. And that includes uh, the cost of creating Live, which was put at $2 billion by CNN on June 2023, that seems low, especially with John Rahm joining recently, yeah. but uh, who knows? There's no official figure on that. So anyway, this is sort of what's on the US radar when it comes to Saudi Arabia is golf and the PGA take takeover. I'm sorry, the live and PGA merger, not a takeover. So New Year's Eve, December 31st was a critical deadline to produce a definitive agreement between the two. Uh, there was supposed to be a hard stop on the negotiations, and it looked like they weren't going to make the deadline, and they did indeed reach an agreement. They have agreed to keep talking about <laughs> reaching an agreement. <laughs> the PGA Tour and PIF are, quote, working to extend negotiations into next year based on the progress we have made to date. A memo sent to tour players from PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan said the negotiations to create between the two a for-profit entity will keep going, but those inside the deal reportedly contended all along that the sides could extend the deadline into 2024. So here we are. There's more from the statement from the PGA, which I thought was interesting. The memo also updated members on the tours negotiations with Strategic Sports Group, a private equity group led by Fenway Sports. Quote, we have made meaningful progress and have provided SSG with the due diligence information they requested. Uh, quote, as we move forward in our discussions, we are focused on the finalization of terms and drafts of necessary documents. PGA Tour Enterprises, the name for the circuit's for-profit entity, would also include the European circuit and potential, quote, minority co-investors of SSG and PIF, which owns Live. Quote, these partnerships will allow us to unify, innovate, and invest in the game for the benefit of players, fans, and sponsors. So the update that was sent was that there's really not much of an update, 
but nor is the deal dead. So that's also kind of news. Purgatory continues. Outside of the PGA <laughs> live deal, there's actually been quite a bit of news of late to discuss as well. One of, if not the best golfers in the world, John Rahm, as I just mentioned, recently signed with Live Golf in a blockbuster deal. Reportedly somewhere in the $300 million range. We talked about this in a previous episode, but it's still a huge deal and a huge get. Maybe one of their top three gets, maybe their biggest get. We also had Liv's most ardent critic recently, Rory McIlroy, walk back some of his harshest criticisms. Per Reuters, McIlroy recently said he regrets being too quick to judge players who joined the Live Golf Series and now accepts it as part of the sport. How about that, Richard? He was a vocal critic since the Breakaway Tour launched in 2022. He said previously he would rather retire than join Liv, but the 34-year-old is... And this is a, a, a term that Reuters use, quote, beginning to mellow a bit <laughs> and says it is no longer his job to fight the battle. He said, quote, I think at this point I was maybe a little judgmental of the guys who went to live at the start. And I think it was a big mistake on my part, because now I realize that not everyone is in my position or in Tiger Woods's position. Uh, he said on a podcast recently, quote, we all turn professional to making a living playing the sports that we do. And I think that's what I realized over the last two years. I can't judge people for making that decision. I just thought that that was so interesting, Richard, because you and I said that, made that point two years ago or whenever this was announced. Like, hey, maybe don't speak on behalf of other people in their professional careers. And seems like he's now kind of come around to that and to the PIF's involvement in the sport, which may mean nothing, may mean something. But anyway, the first PGA Tour event of 2024 kicks off this weekend. Uh, Hawaii for the century. Last year's winner, of course, Mr. John Rom will not be playing. He has been <laughs> suspended. So uh, Liv's first event is February 2nd in Mayakoba. I've been there, an incredible course in Mexico. But yeah, just the world of golf continued turmoil. We're going to have some settlement here going forward, I think. But we also don't have settlement like we thought we might have. So a one big thing. And yes, sorry for talking about golf. Uh, it should be it for a little while unless there's some new blockbuster news, but pretty interesting stuff. I feel like we've been very restrained on golf, actually, and it has been a while. So, I mean, that I thought that was really timely and good. And actually, actually I think I think the 966, we, you and me, Lucian, need to take a, a, a moment and maybe, you know, do a little back padding. Uh, because I think a lot of things that we said on this show in terms of when, you know, Liv was announced in what, October 2021, and you had all the brouhaha ensuing 2022 and 2023. And obviously a lot of things were said. And we talked a lot about you, you know, specifically, you know, that, you know, golfers are independent contractors, but also we talked about that Liv had exposed some very glaring, unexploited inefficiencies in the game of golf. And uh, everything that we talked about in this regard has been confirmed. I mean, you you see, there's a reason, there's a reason that the strategic sports group and and is and others are trying to buy into golf. Um, it's because you know it's it's been undervalued, under uh, underexploited, I guess, underpromoted, and the PGA has not done a really good job. And and there's a reason why. <clears throat> You know, Royal Roy McIlroy, which I think he did a good job in representing where he's the distance he's come, but he was a poster boy for anti-lib. And and he was put forward and his credibility and his marketability were used to sort of beat down the whole premise of Liv. And he's come way around. 
and said, you know, I was wrong. And I think a lot of people have come around. And so we don't know how it's going to play out. But the other thing that we said very early on is you remember when there was discussion of a live and a PGA tie-up and, you know, every more, every bit of commentary was, you know, Saudi's taking over golf and it's, you know, you know, let's get this to the Department of Justice and get it before Congress, blah, blah, blah. That was never the case. And we said that was never the case. It was as a co-investor. And so, so many things that, that, you know, John Rahm, one of the things John Rahm, John Rahm likes the money. The money's insane. John Rahm also likes, he doesn't like the three round uh, format, which I think probably will evolve with Liv. He and others really like the team format. You know, sponsors really like that when you sponsor a Liv tournament, all 48 Liv players show up. You know, in, in the PGA, they're struggling with sponsors now. AT&T, Honda, Wells Fargo, they've all dropped tournaments because they're going, we're a lesser tournament. We're not, we're not a major. We don't know who's going to show up at our tournament. Why are we dropping $20, $30 million on this when, when you know, uh, Dylan Klepko from, from, you know, Waxahachie is winning the tournament? I don't know if there's a Dylan Klepko, but you know what I mean. Yeah, point well taken. <laughs> <laughs> so... Again, you know, Liv has been, uh, you know, their their premise has been validated. And you can argue one way or another. You can say it's not good for the game and blah, blah, blah. And you may be right. And I don't think in the long term that, you know, another, you know, dueling tournaments, dueling, dueling um, uh, you know, the PGA and Liv and, and, DP World Tour and all that, maybe that's not the best. I and mean, it'd be nice if they could coordinate and organize. But, um, you know, Liv's premise has, has Liv's, the introduction of Liv has put a fire under the PGA and has exploded professional golf. And whatever comes out of it will be significantly more lucrative for players, probably sponsors and the game than uh, what existed before. Very, very well said. The first point that you made about the nine six six and and you know what we're doing here, like we are, we are often wrong. At least I very clearly remember when I'm wrong and come on here and start talking and say, "Wait, that was." I remember saying that before. That was turned out to be not correct. We we don't have a crystal ball here, but we do try to understand things from a special kind of viewpoint or a lens. And this story <laughs> brings together a, a physical passion of ours, Richard playing golf, but then also watching golf and then also Saudi Arabia and the U S and it's like, well, it's kind of the one storyline development, um, that is really something that we could do a whole podcast on. I can hear all of our Saudi <laughs> listeners say, do yeah. not do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it just, it's like the type of thing where, you know, because of those, the convergence of those interests, I think it's not going out on a limb to say that we have been quite right about a lot of the things going on with Liv and the PGA Tour. Of course, we didn't see that merger announcement coming. That's why we did an emergency podcast last year in June, I guess it was, when that happened. But yeah, I mean, just, I don't actually, you know what, I'm not going to add too much to what you just said because I thought it was really good, but um, just interesting thing going on right now with this, this. And I think Saudi Arabia and their PIF has done a lot to improve the sport, even though people like Rory, who now seem to be coming around, but are not fully come around, seem to recognize. So I thought that was great, Richard. Um, let's- hey, can, I, 
Yeah, go ahead, please. I would add to that. We don't know if they've improved the sport. We know that they've jolted the hell out of it. And and typically, you know, especially when there's money to be made, you know, typically wherever the pieces fall, you know, it, it will probably end up better. But we they blew up the paradigm. And so now we're going to see how, where it ends up and how it ends up, which makes it very interesting. But they blew up the paradigm and they had reason to do it. And, and everything we see, just to, you know, you know, repeat what I said, everything we see on the PGA it validates what Liv was seeing back in October 2021. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It, it's it's a blow up. It's not we don't know yet because I haven't watched a ton of live events on TV. We did go to a live event, Richard, which was actually really fun. But I mean, we're we're watching PGA events without some of the best players. And so, you know, to say it's better, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. You're right about that. But it is a blow up. And hopefully what settles is good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Richard, let's get to. Yellow. Saudi in a minute. Saudi, Saudi. in a minute. <laughs> gotta get this year 2024 is a year we're gonna get a little bit of stock audio and drop it in there have some professional guy doing it maybe with a blow yes. voice or something i don't know we, how, how oh, we actually, can commission you, that you, you know? mean an actual professional serious one actually that would be we don't have the money for that but there's like a when, yeah we'll go to some like contractor site yeah <laughs> yeah exactly if you if you want to support what we're doing hire a voice actor for us <laughs> and, and, uh, please have him please, drop it in please give us some money enough money to afford james earl jones <laughs> number one yellow number one u.s secretary of state anthony blinken will travel to the middle east region this week to quote discuss urgent mechanisms to stem violence, calm rhetoric, and reduce regional tensions, unquote, according to a press release from the State Department. The State Department said that Blinken will visit Istanbul, Turkey, Crete, Greece, Amman, Jordan, Doha, Abu Dhabi, and Alula, Saudi Arabia, Tel Aviv, the West Bank, and Cairo from January 4 to 11, 2024. Yeah, um, interesting about Allah. That's obviously where they're having some sort of gathering. I look pretty deeply on this because we included it in our daily newsletter, which you can subscribe to by going to sustg.com. Um, and I couldn't find anything planned for Allah. It just was interesting because it's like you don't, you know, uh, you don't typically see that. Um, and some of these places, uh, I guess. Uh, Istanbul. Okay. So yeah, so that's just where they're meeting in Saudi Arabia. So yeah, it was interesting. So I was like, well, so what's going on there? Is there going to be an event there? I couldn't find anything on that, but the, yeah, Richard, we know that this, uh, the region is not in a good place right now. And I think all the major actors are working to keep things calm and all the non-state actors are working in the other direction. Uh, really, really crazy time. Good point. Yeah, this is a hell of a trip that he's taking, and it's good that he's seeing these people. I think the, I think you know, the last time he met with the, the crown prince was in Jeddah, so I guess they just move things around. And Alula has plenty of you know meeting spaces for this. The, on that readout, let me share. I'll, I'll share what that readout said. Sort of. So this quote: Throughout his trip, Secretary will underscore the importance of protecting civilian lives in Israel and the West Bank and Gaza. Securing the release of all remaining hostages, our shared commitment to facilitating the increased sustained delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza and the resumption of, resumption of essential services and ensuring that Palestinians are not forcibly displaced from Gaza. Um, 
So then it goes on. The secretary will reaffirm the U.S. commitment to working with partners to set the conditions necessary for peace in the Middle East, which indicates comprehensive, tangible steps toward the realization of a future Palestinian state alongside the state of Israel, both living in peace and security, unquote. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's great that he's going to all these places to meet these people. It's great that those are the talking points. But I think, you know, people want to see it stop. And they want to see us uh, significantly more forceful with Israel in some way to make it stop. And, we, you know, and I don't know. And then I'm talking about views from the Middle East. Uh, 22,000, you know, uh, Gazans killed now at the latest number. Um, the devastation is comprehensive. I don't know, you know, you know, so, so, so anyway, you know, this is all well and good. I think. I think in the end of the day, Saudi Arabia and the U.S. are on the same page. They want to somehow contain it so it doesn't grow. They want to somehow stop it. They want to preserve enough that there might be an opportunity for a just and reasonable solution with the Palestinian question afterwards. But um, they really want more from the U.S. in making it stop. We both would like to see it stop. Um it's just it's just horrible what's going on and that 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 figure you said richard it's just astonishing 22,000 dead that's awful so yeah hopefully we're talking in a population out. of 2 million yep yeah sorry yeah no 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 i mean that's you know that's just staggering and and terrible so um uh, we're we're definitely entering uncharted waters now in the region and just hopefully peace prevails so yeah. And and as we know, the longer this goes, the more these non-state actors and other state actors with their fingers on the trigger. We just saw, you know, a you know, a an ISIS attack in Iran, you know, which doesn't seem to connect, but you know, with temperatures increased, everyone up in arms, you know, there's you know, we just saw the US retaliated in in Baghdad against a a, a group that's been attacking US forces in Iraq. I mean, all this, you know, the Hezbollah, the Lebanon-Israeli border is almost depopulated because people are just trying to get out of the way. So, I mean, the longer this goes, the, 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 you know, more opportunities for it to explode. We got to find a way, and I know, I know it's good. Like I said, that uh, the Secretary of State is out there. I just think most of our guests, most of our allies and partners out there, are saying, "All right, it's good to see you. We've talked about this. We got to do something. We got to stop this." Yeah. Yeah. Also, the uh, situation in the Red Sea with the Houthis. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. sort of all around the the region. And yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think that enough talking, more action, and everyone's looking to the U.S. And I mean, boy. So anyway, yellow number yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saudi state TV said on Tuesday that the kingdom had officially begun its membership of the BRICS bloc. Saudi Arabia's foreign minister had said in August that the kingdom would study the details before the proposed January 1st joining date and take, quote, the appropriate decision. Prince Faisal bin Farhan said that BRICS was, quote, a beneficial and important channel to strengthen economic cooperation. The BRICS bloc previously included Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, but is set to double with Saudi Arabia joining the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, 
Iran and Ethiopia as new members. Yeah, interesting. Um, I guess this was anticipated. Um, Saudi Arabia took it under advisement after applying, so it it, it makes sense. And and the big the big ads there really are the Emirates and Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia and the Emirates. Um, you know, they're some of the richest countries per capita. You know, huge sovereign wealth funds, uh, investment opportunities. Obviously, you know, leading uh, energy producers. Which is kind of is a nice tie-up, given that India and China are huge and en- en- energy consumers. Um, I think it remains to be seen what actually this all means. I don't know if I I don't have any particular insight. I feel like China and I feel like the original BRICS, China in particular, see it as one thing, and Saudi Arabia probably see it as another. I think Saudi Arabia has been spreading its bets and continues to spread its bets, and it doesn't hurt itself to spread its bets. Um, I don't think it, you know, it doesn't, it's not a declaration of any kind of independence from the West for Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, You know, if they can uh, create alternative financial systems, which I think is a huge priority, um, that's something significant. Um, But you can see Saudi Arabia sort of trying to, you know, bridge the two or the three. You know, they China and Saudi Arabia signed a, a local currency swap agreement earlier in that uh, well late last year for about seven billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And so it got a lot of news. <laughs> Excuse me. It got a lot of news. But people I've talked to said, you know, the Chinese wanted a much larger one. They wanted a thirty billion dollar one, which is not unusual for this kind of trades and currency swap, you know, to help promote and and uh, you know expand trade. And the Saudis said, no, no, let's keep it. You know, again, they're sort of saying, okay, yeah, we want the relationship, but we want a lot of relationships and let's not go overboard on this. Anyway, so it'll be fascinating to watch how this plays out, the the new BRICS and what it means to the organization in general. Yeah, this isn't a binary choice from Saudi Arabia. It's not like they're, like you said, jettisoning the West and saying we're BRICS people now. I mean, it's a, it's a bet spreading exercise, like you noted, and they, you know, the, the Saudi-Chinese relationship undeniably is on the up um, and has been for, for years, really, but really has accelerated in the last two to three years. And that's just the way things are. But it's not just China that's in this. It's India and South Africa and Brazil. I mean, it's really an organization that does spread all the way across the globe. And so for, for Saudi Arabia, you know, and the UAE who just joined and Egypt as well and Ethiopia, I mean, this is a new representation for that group in the Middle East. And so that group has become more geographically dispersed. Um, but there is also, as a result, a lot of um, in the Western media criticism of this as it's some sort of statement to the U.S. that Saudi Arabia is no longer interested in a relationship and as if that is accurate at all. It, it is not. And so um, it's just something to keep an eye on for now, I think. It's not like, a oh, we're we're doing this. <laughs> this is totally different. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It'll yeah. play out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Yellow number three, a recent study by Gallup International in collaboration with the Saudi Center for Opinion Polls has revealed the high level of optimism among, among Saudi citizens as they look forward to the year 2024. The study's data indicates that Saudis are the world's most optimistic people regarding the upcoming year. 
According to the Gallup International Index, the global average for optimism is 39%, while people believing that 2024 will be, 39% of people believing that 2024 will be improvement over 2023. In stark contrast, the optimism level among Saudis stands at an impressive 82%, leading the world in positive outlook for the new year. You have a lot of optimism. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of momentum, I should say, for Saudi Arabia. They just got the Expo 2030. They recently are, you know, have, were the sole bidder for World Cup 2034. You have Saudi Arabia's GDP growth looking like maybe 4.4 percent. This is, I mean, the the the. Uh, predictions for this are all over, but Al Jazeera Capital says 4.4% with non-oil growth being the factor that drives the Saudi GDP next year. It makes sense that they're optimistic. Things are going well in Saudi Arabia right now. It's sort of happening. Richard, you mentioned and have mentioned before, and it's a good phrase. They're they're having a moment, but the moment is not a moment. It's just, this is sort of Saudi Arabia coming to its own. It's Vision 2030 maturing and starting to bear fruit. So it is not surprising that there is a lot of optimism in Saudi Arabia right now. You know, it's fun to see these th things like this. You know, we had uh, Karma does does um, metrics and analysis and data diving on what the Vision 2030 brand has meant with Saudi Arabia and how it plays in the rest of the world. So you and I see this, you and I feel this. Um, it's fun to see it quantified in essence. You and I, you know, we spend time in Saudi. We have a lot of Saudi friends and, and we have a longitudinal understanding of it because we've been there for many years, been connected, engaged for many years. And so, you know, whatever we can perceive this sort of change in how people feel about themselves and what they're thinking about their future and how optimistic and how enthusiastic they are going forward. And so you and I can feel it. We see it on the ground. It is fun to see it quantified. Uh, like this, because this is an accurate reflection of what I see and what I hear. Um, the enthusiasm, the optimism, the forward thinking, the excitement uh, is palpable for for a lot of Saudis. And, you know, and not everybody's getting it, you know, you know, you know, moving forward at rapid pace. People are being left behind. People are struggling, just like in any economy, just like in any society. But overall, you know, Saudis feel good about the direction. They feel good about their regime, their government. They feel good about their opportunities. They feel good about their children's opportunities overall. And it's really, it's really interesting that you see a, you know, a, you know, a, a reputable, you know, organization like Gallup come in and and basically validate what it is you and I feel mm -hmm. and see. The other nugget in here that is interesting. Uh, in terms of global peace, 55% of Saudis are hopeful that 2024 will be a more peaceful year for the world. On the other hand, 13% believe it could be more turbulent. 26% expect no significant change and 6% are indifferent to the prospect. I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next year. But their view of what's happening in Saudi Arabia is different than what's happening in the wider world. And that kind of rings true with what we just talked about with the local optimism and also with the previous yellow that we just did about regional instability. I mean, who knows what can happen? And so, so they're not just like generally optimistic. They're optimistic about what's happening in Saudi and hopeful about what's happening around them, but not optimistic necessarily. Exactly. 
yellow number four. Four. The Saudi capital Riyadh has emerged as a new regional hub for over 200 international companies aligning with an upcoming Saudi government policy effective January 1st, 2024. The policy requires international firms to establish their regional headquarters in the kingdom to be eligible for government contracts known as a regional HQ program. We've discussed on this podcast uh, with guests and with ourselves, interesting development and the date has now passed. Notable among them are European giants such as Schneider Electric, ABB, Siemens, Philips, Schlumberger, Aegis Group, from the U.S. prominent firms like Northern Trust, Bechtel, White & Case, GE Healthcare, PepsiCo, Baker Hughes have made the move. The U.K. is represented by IHG Hotels, PwC, Deloitte, and Unilever, while major Chinese corporations like BGI, Nuktech, or Nuktech, Dahua Technologies, iMile Delivery, Huawei, and China Com Services have also joined the fray. These relocations, primarily occurring between 2021 and 2023, have been spurred by attractive incentives offered by the Saudi government. These include a 30-year exemption from corporate income tax, withholding tax on headquarters activities, exclusive discounts, and comprehensive support services covering relocation, concierge facilitation, and professional advice. We included this because it's in the news a lot. And if you get Seustic Review, we've been covering a lot um, because of the date, you know, we this this was first mooted in 2019. I think it was became launched and became official policy in 2021. So we've been watching it for what? Close to five years now. Uh, and here it is. And, um, you know, they had targeted 160 and they ended up, they'll end up with over 200 and, and more will be trickling in. Uh, just fascinating play. And this is another thing that, you know, we'll watch unfold, but clearly they're thinking, you know, as we know, you know, it's not just a corporate headquarters, it's bringing people, it's a spending, it's, it's um, a talent, it's upskilling. It's, you know, it's so many other things that Saudi Arabia wants to sort of gather unto its economy over as time goes by. So um, again, I don't know, you know, you know, like we were talking about the live situation, we can't term it a success, even though, you know, you know, we we don't know what's going to happen with bricks. You know, we don't know if we can determine this a success on the metrics of it, that just the numbers, it seems to be successful, but so many of the the benefits that they hope to achieve here are, are, are less immediately tangible and more long-term. So we'll see that unfold as it comes in, but it's a it's got to be a, considered a big coup if you've got two hundred major corporations coming in and and saying you know we 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 recognize the opportunity is here we need to set up shop here. What is interesting to me is what happens if the Saudi government wants to contract with a company that is particularly, you know, of choice for them. Uh, and they don't have the regional HQ in Riyadh, like, will they still just make an exemption? Was this more of a way to kind of incentivize people to say, hey, if you want to compete, then you need to move your HQ here, but we still reserve the right to contract with these companies if they're not here. I think probably that's the case. Um, I don't know, but that's interesting. It's a good question. You like if somebody has proprietary technology or something is just, you know, is the you know far and away the best in its field if Saudi Arabia would... Uh, would, would still they, do yeah yeah like but i can understand i mean if you're maybe not that or you have other competitors in the field why wouldn't you do this you know as a way to get them in anyway kind of interesting I, my my <laughs> my presumption on that is 
Yes, they would, because, <laughs> you know, we know Mohammed bin Salman <laughs> and, and leadership. It's all about it's all about Vision 2030. So if it helps it, they'll do it. Like this is the man who says, I don't care if you call it sports washing. If it adds, you know, one point five percent to my GDP, you can call it whatever you want. Right. <laughs> you know, they'd probably say, look, you, you know, we, we incentivize people to move. And if you moved and you did that, you know, you did it based on your own analysis of what's in your best interest. We'll do the same if this particular company, we really need it. <laughs> you know, and, and but they, you know, maybe they can't do their regional HQ right now. Sure. Yeah, but they're probably like, why put it to chance? You know, if you yeah. are on the fence, like move. If not, then maybe the Saudi government will come calling. Maybe not. You know, yeah. just, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, number five, Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund spent more than any other last year after splashing out $31.5 billion on investments ranging from a stake in Heathrow to ownership of a U.S. gaming company. The PIF, the kingdom's public investment fund, has topped an annual ranking of sovereign wealth fund in spending compiled by global the SWFs. They've, they've topped the, that table for the first time. Investment by PF counted... PIF accounted for just over a quarter of the $123.8 billion spent in total by all of the world's sovereign wealth funds in 2023. Uh, Saudi spending jumped by a third compared to 2022. Um, the PIF uh, struck 48 deals last year, spanning a wide range of sectors as Saudi Arabia seeks to diversify its economy away from its reliance on oil. I mean, that's a lot of money and spending. That's kind of insane. Um, I, I mean, it, I, I didn't, it's not in this blurb. I'm curious about this. Was other spending down or did the PIF just race ahead? Um, seems like maybe a combination of both. It was kind of a weird year for investment, uh, but not for the PIF. They said, hey, we're full steam ahead here. Um, yeah, this is a, it's a lot of money. And that 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 ranking by the consultancy, the global SWF Sovereign Wealth Fund, it's sort of like a consultancy think tank and publication that ranks these things, and you know has a directory of sovereign wealth fund people and and uh, key players and stuff. Anyway, this one hundred twenty three point eight billion, Richard, is a good old chunk of change. It is. Um, you know, we've had we've had guests on the show to talk specifically about PIF. PIF is a constant theme for us because it's so intrinsic and essential to pretty much everything Saudi Arabia is trying to do. You know, I, I think we may, I have come to the conclusion, it's one of one. It's just a unicorn because what it does domestically, what it does internationally, you know, it's investment practices and that sort of thing. And this sort of affirms, you know, how aggressive and how out there they are but, you know, they still also have a mandate of, of investing $40 billion a year in the domestic economy. So they've, they've got all sorts of things going on. And, and, and I still haven't found anybody who says there's another entity that resembles it or not that is like it. Yeah, it's it's a unicorn times one hundred twenty three point eight. But I know what you mean. You use the, 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 the term in a different way, but that it is huge. I mean, that is. That's insane. And, and it was like what we were just talking about with the uh, with golf. I mean, you know, five billion is less than one percent of what they're doing. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of nuts. So uh yellow number six, 
the ongoing Riyadh season featuring a series of entertainment, fashion, technology, and gaming events attracted a whopping 12 million visitors in the last 60 days. Organizers said the popular event, which opened in October, targeted 12 million visitor participation during the entire event period, but achieved the target in the middle of the season. Turkey bin Abdelmosin al-Sheikh, chairman of the board of directors of the General Entertainment Authority, said that 12, 12 million visitors was, in fact, the target for the entire Riyadh season 2023 will run until April. The 2023 season, excuse me, will run until April 2024. That, that's amazing. Yeah, that wasn't written very well. Apologies. Um, yeah, we just threw that in because we like the Riyadh seasons. They're amazing. And actually, it's going to be fun for you because your family is going to be there for a couple months. And there's a lot of stuff for kids to do. It's awesome. And I'm guessing, you know, your, your kids will just, you know, be in wonderment at some of these things. So, I mean, that's great for you because there are entertainment opportunities and it's really, a, a you know, I've heard use validate multiple times this episode. I apologize, but you know, if you're, you're talking, you're targeting 12 million people, which is a, a boatload of people yeah. and you're hitting it halfway through, then you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And you're serving a need that exists. Yeah, it's like the tourism figures where they put a hundred million out there. That's a lot. Then they revised upward because they said, "Hey, we're going to get that a lot quicker than we thought." And that's how things go with these KPIs and these targets. You never know; you may come up short. But I mean, twelve million visitors is a lot of visitors to Riyadh, and it's halfway through it. It's incredible. And what's nice is, it, very shortly, they're going to add the Lucian family to that. You're right. You're doing 12 million and four. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll probably go multiple times. So. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing because there's, it's not, it's kind of all part of just like a general season, but you know, the uh-huh. weather in Riyadh right now is really nice. I mean, it's like a Northern Arizona kind of winter. And if you yeah. look at that, it's kind of a lot of people go to Florida, you know, for this, for the winter, not a lot of people, but people go to Florida for the winter if they don't like winter. That's not why I'm going, but I mean, it's kind of nice. It's a nice time to be in Riyadh. It's a nice time to be out and about during the day and at night. It's kind of cool. And of course, they have the Saudi Pro League going on. We talked about the Dakar Rally, which is just kicked off. Uh, Formula E later this month, I believe it is. You, of course, have F1, in, which is in Jeddah, actually. And that's March 7th. They just moved that back a week or up a week, I think, because of Ramadan. There's just a lot to do now in Riyadh, of course. And then, Richard, we've talked about this as well. Saudi Arabia and Riyadh specifically as a home or hub of, you know, uh, trade shows and conferences. I mean, seemingly one interesting, huge record setting conference every day in Riyadh. They're kind of have been positioning themselves as such for a while. And here we are. And it's kind of the place to be now. So that's which is amazing. You can see, harking back to an earlier yellow, you can see why everyone's so optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What a nice bow to put on this show. 117, Richard. That was really well done. Uh, it's like you've done this before 116 times. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's wrap it with that. Thank you to all for an amazing year last year, and we will see you for an amazing year this year. We are optimistic here. 100% of the 966 is optimistic yes, it is. about the year to come, <laughs> which is, which is, is. just unbeatable. <laughs> um, thanks uh, very much, Richard. See you next week.